Well, good morning. And you guys, as a choir, sound awesome. It's a, it's a, it sounds sweet up here. Thank you guys for the participation. See you all on Easter, right? Yeah, I'm, yes. That'd be good. The whole, the whole crew. Awesome. So thank the team. They did a great job this morning. This is point if you've got students who are a part of the youth ministry they're free to go and they're uh, for their programming in the in the out in the b auditorium in the meantime we are in a series here where we're talking about why sunday what's the purpose and point of of worshiping on sunday and all that fun stuff and last week Stephen took it for me i'm gonna ask you guys one more time to just thank Stephen and just thought he did a great job what i listened to so thank you buddy and uh, as we're kind of moving into this, we're, he, we're covering this idea. What is the world? What, what, why Sundays? What, what is the point of having to do worship on Sundays, of Sunday service, doing church? Last week, Stephen covered off on this idea of the Sabbath versus Sundays. And is there, is there a difference? And what is that difference? And the principle of rest and the idea of the Lord's Day and celebration of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So kind of pulling these pieces together and looking at it, we're going to continue with this conversation because it's a pretty important conversation actually as we've begun to as I begin to look at it our culture is in an interesting place um, in 2013 Barna did a research poll and found that it was roughly 40 something almost 50 percent of the people in the United States stated that they go to church regularly <clears throat> now that seems really high until you start actually doing more research and what they found out was as other pollsters got in there they started asking comparing the actual attendance to the of churches to the actual reality of people's statements and what they started to discover is that we Americans we have a really good way of thinking uh, thinking good about ourselves and what we actually say is on polls we'll actually claim better things for ourselves than actually are I'll give you an example um, the actual percentage of people going regularly to church is about 20% of the United States population. And then actually, in other, in other cases, we also do the same things to ourselves. We claim we go to church more often than we do. We claim we vote more often than we do. We claim we drink less often than we do. And we claim we smoke less often than we do. We just like to think of ourselves as really good people. And so we paint ourselves in those directions. And so it's interesting, though, that at that 20% level, that is a really low number for our, for our culture and our history. And as you begin to talk to people, you find out that if you're up in that level where you're, you're a grandparent or you're a great-grandparent, uh, way up there, you're, you're, I know a lot of you are like, I just not just brand new grandparents, I'm talking that, that the baby boomers' parents kind of people, they love church. They go to church faithfully. They believe it's super important. They're constantly at church. You move down to the baby boomers, they're like, yeah, church is good. And you get to the Gen Xers, they're like, Church? Yeah, maybe. Then you get to the millennials, which is kind of that next, they haven't really named my kids yet, but that's that next generation that's, um, I think it's like something like 35 and down right now is, is the millennial generation. And they're like, church? No way. That's kind of the general gist of them. They're like, church, that, that's, for, that's a place filled with hypocrites, filled with people who uh, don't care about people, filled with these pe pastors who have moral failures. They have all these excuses of why they don't go to church. What I think is interesting is that I think there are other excuses why people don't go to church too. For example, churches sometimes are just boring. And they're just straight out boring. You, 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 oh, I'll give you a good example of this. Um, it, they're so boring, they can put you to sleep. Um, years ago, I would sit way back there in the right corner. I just, we just built the building. Things had been going pretty well. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm sitting back there in the corner, and 
This guy named Frank, he would come to church, loved the Lord. He was a ta- just a guy who absolutely loved God, and he's with the Lord now. But he would come, and he'd sit down, and he'd, I'd always sit about two, two rows back from him or sometimes right behind him. And inevitably, about three minutes into the sermon, you start to hear this. And it was loud. And I'm like going, Ike, get pumped up something. Wake this guy up. Come on. People are falling asleep. This is ridiculous. You got you to gotta bring the wood, man. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm young. And then I preached for a few years and I find out you guys fall asleep on me too. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is we're just exhausted. This is Sunday, man. We've worked all week long and you're just worn out. You're tired. You're, you, you've come to the end of the, your weekend and you're like, I just need a, a longer sleeping period than what I'm getting. And honestly, then you come to church and you meet these pastors who are just so kind and soothing in our conversations. And honestly, if I talk to you like this, I could put you back to sleep. Because it's so easy to talk in such a tone down manner and make you feel really good. Either I'm Joel Osteen or a really boring sermon. Either way, what I'm giving to you guys is this reality of like, can you imagine trying to put up with that and get through a day when you're wiped out? You've worked on average, the average person's worked 50 hours a week. Then you come to the weekend where we've taken our kids off to 17 different practices throughout the week and another game. And then we're making sure that we've got all the food ready because we've got to go to the next game. If you've got more than one kid in sports, you're going crazy. Or maybe you're, you're involved in your, in your school groups during the week. And then on the weekend, you're like, we've got to have family trip time. And so you're getting all the kids. And that's never relaxing, is it? It's like you're kind of like gathering kids, herding cats, making sure all the food is there. Where's their shoes? You get somewhere. Something's lost. Now there's a trip to Walmart. It's just this whole chaos involved in any form of whatever we do that we're wiped out by the time Sunday morning comes. Because you thought, this is the weekend. We're supposed to stay up and see a movie, do something. And so Sunday night, you were up till, or Saturday night, you were up till like 2 a.m. last night. And you've rolled in here in third service because you're smart. And uh, <laughs> I still don't know why evening service isn't like packed out every Sunday. It's like, but people, people find that we're just worn out. And really what we just need is a break. We just need a break because we're tired. And some of you take your break in service. But what we need to be doing (laughs) is taking a different form of break and realize that God has already given us that break. You see, Sunday is our time to take a break. It is supposed to be, as traditionally as Christians, it is our time to take a break. If, if you're not a Christian or this is your first time to church, reason, we're talking about why we're taking this break on Sunday. And last week, Stephen kind of laid it out. He's talking about this principle of rest. And, and it shows up in, a, in one of the Ten Commandments. It, it begins this way. God tells the Israelites, he says, look, six days you're going to labor and you shall do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your or female servant or your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates, nobody. Everybody's going to rest. Everybody's going to stop. Everybody's going to stop progressing forward and being successful for one day. Take a break. What's interesting is this was a legal code. You had to do it on Saturday, no matter what, if you lived in the Israelite land. And so this, now it's a, we take it and that's kind of freed up. We're not bound under the law. You're not going to be crushed because you didn't rest on Saturday. No, but what we're doing is there's a principle, though, that's still established. And that is a principle of rest, that it's your rhythm of life should be one, two, three, four, five, six, rest. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. What a nice rhythm. That's not how we live, though. Let's be honest with ourselves. We live one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, rest, rest. One, two, three, rest. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. If your heart beat that way, you'd be dead. God has not intended any kind of rhythm to be out of sync. He's put this as the rhythm of life where we work productively for six days, you get to rest. And in that rest for us as Christians, we get to celebrate. And again, I think it's very convenient for us to have Sunday be our day of rest because on Sundays we're supposed to celebrate what the Lord has done in the resurrection. And so now you have this rest time along with this celebration time. And so it all comes together for us as Christians and can be a very positive, exciting time. But the bottom line is that many of us, we don't get that one, two, three, four, five, six rest rhythm because it's one, two, three, four, five, six in the day of rest. We're running around with our kids toting soccer bags and making sure our baseballs are good and the footballs are inflated and everything's good because our goal is really to forward progress our children's lives on the weekend. And it's all about the children in a sense. We sound very much like politicians when it comes to this conversation. And I get it. There's something in us that's like, I've got kids who are in sports and, and we live in Corona where it's like all consuming. We all have the next Clayton Kershaw on our house or something like that. And we're all excited about that. But what's interesting is this is a brand new thing in the Christian faith. Recreation in the past, in the past generations would have been told like, you shouldn't do this. Don't play sports. Don't play games. In other words, don't have any fun on your day of rest. No, 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 no. That's not what the scriptures actually teach. It was a cultural heritage that we pulled in. But I think we're going a little too far now where nothing is done on Sundays that is even akin to rest. We're running ourselves ragged and crazy. And it's all around this term called recreation. What about recreation? What do we do about sports and recreation on a day that, you know, we should be celebrating God and resting? And for any Christian parent in the room who's really considering these things, uh, any, uh, you should really contemplate this. And I want um, those of you who aren't Christians to think about this too, because really think about the rhythm of your child's life. There's school all day. When are they going to get the rest that they need? And children are growing. They need a lot of rest. But God has placed this into this rhythm. And so what are we doing with this recreation question? How do you deal with sports on on your day of rest? How should you deal with the parties on your day of rest? Because if you've got friends, you've got a lot of birthday parties and stuff going on. How should you deal with these various aspects like your Pinterest DIY project that you just have to finish this weekend kind of thing? So what do we do with this? And it starts with this. I want to give you a few few things. Question one, is, is what you're doing, is your recreation centered on God or is it centered on self? It's a really important question because if a day, we're supposed to give a day to God and our rest and we're supposed to focus on him, how much of what we're intaking and taking in on our day of rest is really God-centered? And what a practice if we were just to kind of put on pause all the things that don't encourage us spiritually, but discourage us. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys are sitting down when you go home and in your rest, you're literally scrolling through newspaper articles and, and websites that are just getting you freaked out about what's going on in the world right now. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to get yourself messed up on out there in this world at this time. And you're at home on the day you're supposed to be resting and all you're doing is causing internal stress as you're freaking out about what in the world's going on. 
Or maybe you've kicked your back, you kicked your shoes off, you went home, you relaxed, and you're watching a television show that actually espouses everything the opposite of what you would believe. And you've just spent two hours ingesting maybe the faith, and now you spend another six hours ingesting everything but And so the question is, when is it on self? When is it on God? Now, there's no problem. You get out there and play sports and focus on God and teach good character and those kind of things. And there are times where you're out in recreation and you're gathering together and we're playing ultimate Frisbee or whatever. And I've done this after church on Sunday. And it has been energizing for me for the rest of my week. It actually gives me rest. And we've done it to focus on God, not to focus on self. And so the next question then asks this though, does it refresh you or does it stress you? Now, dads, I need to talk to you for a minute. I don't know about moms, but I'm going to speak to the dads because some of you guys who like sports, you've taken your kids and you're trying to relive your sports life through your children at the Little League. And it's not refreshing. Let's just be honest. You get there and you're like, hit the ball. Don't don't do that. No, you're supposed to run. And if you're like my dad, you're actually yelling, what are you doing? Run, Give, get the ball, pick it up. Shoot! You know, my dad screamed and yelled his guts out up on top of the up on the bleachers while I played basketball. And then you'd get in the car. And anybody ever, anybody else ever get this? You got the the coach lecture from your father when you got sitting down on your way home. You know, you should. You got three things you can do with the ball, and it's just you're going over and reiterating everything that you did wrong in the game. That was my family, and I'm telling you what, it was no fun. There, there was, there was, it was stressful for me. It was stressful for him. It was stressful for my mom. And I've seen parent after parent after parent at Little League places, football games, at soccer games. They don't look like they're having fun. Their faces are red. They're running more than the kids are. They're getting in the car, y'all are screaming. I'm, thin, I'm watching the wives just going like, you know, nobody's refreshed after this. And that may not be you. And that's why I'm asking the question, does it refresh you or does it stress you? Because we're finding ourselves stressed out a lot about these things we call recreation. It can cause a lot of a lack of rest because we're just, we're after it. <coughs> Excuse me. So the third question then in recreation is this, does it interfere with the gathering of the church? If you're a Christian, the question you have to ask yourself is, is this interfering? See, in youth ministry, maybe this is a little chip I have on my shoulder, and I get that. I could be this way, but I remember parents would bring their, would, their kids wouldn't come to classes or stuff on Sunday morning. I'd be like, where were you guys? Oh, well, we bring them on Wednesdays, and then sometimes on Sundays, and, and I'm like, well, what's going on? They're like, well, he has a game. He's got to be at the game. I'm like, and I look at him, do you understand what you're teaching your kid? Like, what? I'm saying, you're saying that the, uh, a game's time is more important than their faith. That if there's some kind of scheduled thing for that, that can replace their faith. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. We do, we do family time. We're in the word of God. This is about, you know, and I say, oh, then you're not just teaching them that it's optional, that Sunday morning is optional. You're also teaching them that, that religion is personal and has nothing to do with the people around them. This is a very serious, critical concern I have about modern culture. That we feel that faith is much just ours. I can choose what I need to do with it. I can turn it off when I need to. I can turn it on when I need to. And then actually what we've been trained by parents and by others is that this is an optional time if I've got something better or more important. Well, well we're upholding, our, our, we're upholding our, 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 what we've said we will do, and I, I get that. 
And so there's a challenge that you have to think about because God desires that we would be together, that we would gather as a community. It is actually in a, most of the scripture is corporate language, meaning it speaks in the we, not the, not the personal. And so as we get into this, we begin to realize that Sunday is, 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 yes, time to take a break. And we don't want to interfere with that break, but it's also a time to celebrate God together. And celebrating God together is something we're losing in our culture. And, and, and let's, be, let's be honest, it's pretty easy to see why. And we have an iPad, we have an iPod, we have an iPhone, now we'll have an iWatch. I mean, how much I do we need in a culture, right? It's all about I, 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 and, and, and it's really, it is centered. We take selfies and we got all the, you know, we take more photos of ourselves today than we take of anybody else. And it's a reality that we are very centered on the self, we are very focused on the, on the me, and so what goes on is that people are you seeing church now as an option because it doesn't fit their time. And what we don't realize is that when we talk about celebration, human beings will always celebrate something. Either we will celebrate God or something else. We will worship something. We're called to worship God, but we can end up worshiping ourselves. And if we're celebrating and worshiping ourselves, oftentimes you'll note it by a few things. First of all, we start to claim things like this. Well, it's my time. We think of time as our time. This is an American thing. Our calendar, my calendar. I'm Covey, you know, I'm, I'm right there. Stephen Covey, boom. My time, my schedule, my way of running things. And God's going, uh-uh. And he warned us that's not how it is because he gave us parents. You remember what it was like to be under your parents' house? It was their time, not your time. You, if it was Sunday and they were going on a Sunday drive, you were going with them and it was going to be long. That was my life. In the car, where are we going? We're going down Timiskel Canyon Road. Till when? Till it ends. What? And they just keep going off in the middle of nowhere and off we go down to San Diego on Timiskel Canyon Road. For me and my sisters packed in the back, poking each other. You don't stop. You're going to get a spay and pull this car over. You brought us on this trip. <laughs> But this is the reality. It wasn't my time. I had to wake my daughter up this morning at 5.30 because she was going to sing in the, in the worship team, but she needed to come with me. And, I, and so I'm getting her up, and she's like getting up well, and I'm like, you better get out of bed. It's not your time. Guess what? We're still children under the, our Father in heaven. And the I culture says it's our time, but it's not. It's his time. All time is his time. He owns all seven days. And he said, graciously, he said, here, I'll give you six to work and promote your life and get things moving and do what I've called you to do. I'm going to keep one day. This is mine. So focus on me. Let's, let's do this together. And, and so he has this rhythm relationship, but he also is very clearly calling us to do this together in a celebration of him, not as an I self, but as a we. Is this our time? It's our time to celebrate him together. And so we need to watch because we can get into this like, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to back off. But really the question is, okay, well, where is this corporate stuff you're talking about? Right here in Ephesians chapter 4. Take, take a look at this verse. Ephesians 4 is actually the, the chapter of the Bible that really describes what is going on inside the church community. And he's just said he's given them pastors and teachers to train people to do the work of ministry. And then he goes on, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. And so there's both a corporate here and a private, uh, personal here. So I'm not against personal, but a lot of people try to get around having corporate time in church by saying, I've got my, my personal time with God at home. We worship as a family at home. I've got my, my, got my small group. And what we see here is, no, there's a both and. First of all, this is very corporate. We need to speak truth in love so we can grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is with, its, with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly. There's the singular. When each part is working properly. That's the individual. And I really believe that you and I need to have personal time with God in which we're investing and in being in the word. Maybe singing songs at home to him or definitely praying and spending this time where we're growing so that when we come together as a church, we have something to share with each other. We actually have content that we can begin to pass to each other. That this is not just an in and out experience. This is literally you come and we gather and we share and we talk and we mull and we think and we congregate over the truths and these things together. So that we build each other up. So there's a corporate togetherness as well. If you ignore the corporate, oftentimes what I've seen is in small groups and family units is that their theology begins to bend and become heresy. They begin to overemphasize aspects of the faith that aren't as important. Like I've seen small groups just run off into political um, activist groups. And that's all they are. And I don't have a problem with being politically minded. I have a problem when it's what you think Christianity is. And that's all it is. Other groups have ran off taking tidbits and thoughts about theology, about who God is, and, and ran off and become very, very not Christian in their thinking. And this is done when individuals avoid the corporate. You see, here when we're sharing our thoughts, it's the corporate because we're all studying together, holding one another. So that if I teach something odd, you guys can come up to me and go, hold on a second here, Greg. I don't agree with this. And I love it. A friend of mine just last week or two weeks ago, John came up to me and he said, hey, you said this in a sermon. And what did you mean by that? And we were able to get into a dialogue and talk it out. And I realized I probably misspoke that point. I didn't really mean to say it that way because I was just kind of John talking. And he's like, okay. And I did explain why it's not necessarily unbiblical. And we were able to do that together because he was willing to come talk to me. So don't take what I say as like, you know, I am not the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. I'm giving you guys an interpretation. I can be wrong. Amen. You didn't have to say it so quickly. (laughs) But I can't be wrong. And you guys need to come and talk to me. But we can say things wrong to each other. We need to be willing to speak into each other's lives. That the corporate community works like this to build each other up. Now, we can, if we ignore the private though, what happens to the corporate? It becomes all about what I'm telling you. It's just me telling you stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not the goal either. The corporate becomes very dry and passionless when we don't have a private life with God. They both come together fully. And so this is a together mentality. And so when we are together, we should celebrate God in a few ways. First of all, celebrate God by singing to him. I love this. It's, uh, it's the idea of this. And I want to pause here before we get to this verse. So let me back up for a second. We need to celebrate God by singing to him. And it's important that we note this because some of the mixture that we're getting, the confusion we get is because of the world we live in. If you do, do a thought experiment with me for a minute. Shut your eyes. And imagine yourself in this scenario. You are sitting in, in rows, in comfortable seats, in a room with a large screens in them. And things are on those screens. Where are you? You can say it out loud. 
at a movie theater. Okay, imagine this. You're sitting in rows. You're in a room. And up comes a band with lights and flashing and and sound. Where are you? You're at a concert. Imagine you're in a room where you've got somebody teaching you stuff and you're writing down notes and you're sitting in rows. Where are you? You're at school. Yeah, I heard church. You're at school. And here on Sunday morning, when you're, you guys can open your eyes now. When Sunday morning, you're, oh, you're, coming to, you're coming to church and you're tired. It's been a long week. And we go, you really should come to church. Well, what is it? It's like this concerty movie slash school thing. What? But all of your, that's what your brain is doing and walks in the door. You're conditioned into these kind of attitudes. And so when you come in, you come in as a consumer. And when you see a band come up, you think, sweet, the music. And you're like, ah, this isn't as good of a concert as I thought it'd be. Or this is great, whatever your expectations are. But that's not why we come. We don't come to see music done. We come to sing together. We are the band. These are the leaders. God is the audience. And when we gather together, we're here to light up and get excited and celebrate our God all together. That's why we need to sing. And we got to sing it out. And we got to sing it loud. And some of us are going, you don't want to hear me sing. So make a joyful noise to the Lord. And you're like, no, seriously, you don't want to hear me sing. That's why we turn the music up. Keep it loud. That way you can, all of us can be singing. I really believe we should be leaving here on Sunday morning hoarse because we've sang so hard and loved our God that much in our song. Why should we do that? Well, it's simple. And some people are like, that's just weird. I mean, you're not, maybe you're just checking this out, but you're like, why are Christians so passionate about singing to God? Well, here's one of the verses that we have. It says, the Lord lifts up the humble and cast the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. What's interesting about this is it tells us who God is first. It says, God is merciful. He lifts up the humble. He doesn't crush the humble. He brings them up. But at the same time, he casts the wicked to the ground. He's just. God is not afraid to make the judgment call and call somebody guilty and place them in their right, ju- in right justice. At the same time, God is not afraid to see somebody who's willing to repent and bend the knee and say, forgive me, and he's willing to forgive them. That's what the gospel is. See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that if we would humble ourselves, he could forgive us of our sins. And all the just punishment we should receive that will come on the day of judgment is placed on Christ. And now we don't have to receive that. That should be a reason to celebrate. That should be a reason to do what that third line, what's the first word on that third line? Say it out loud. Sing. Say it loud. Like, let's sing it. Sing. I'm just kidding. The idea is, don't do that. So... The sing is the idea that we want to be a people who sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, thankfulness, and make melody on the lyre. Anybody got their lyre ready? Bust out their lyre? I mean, like, what's a lyre? Lyre is an, uh, is an old stringed instrument, honestly. This is our modern day lyre, the guitar. We pull out our instruments. It says, use cymbals and loud clanging gongs. I mean, that's what's behind me, the drums. Guys, what we have is instrumentation to sing to the Lord because we love what he's done for us. And we want to shout it out. We want to sing it loud. And we want to let everybody who's new to the church go, man, these people are crazy. They like singing. And and maybe that's weird to you. You're like, why in the world? That's weird. Why, Why do Christians want to sing to God? I don't know. I think it's weird that we sing happy birthday. 
Especially if you go to Farrell's. There's some secular guy who doesn't go to church, and he's like, oompa, oompa, doompa, dee, doo. I mean, this is what's going on to my kids. I'm like, what did they put in this ice cream? And you're like looking at this going, why are we doing this? Because we love to sing to people that we love. Or you, you like to shout to people, you, but we like to engage in song with people we enjoy and we love. And when we do that, we are expressing our hearts. Don't be afraid. If you're in this room, you ought to lift up your voice if you're a Christian to your God. That's what we gather together for. It's together that we celebrate God. Together, we celebrate God by learning about him. And so, whoops, we skipped way over that, learning about him. And this idea here is that this is what sermons are about, right? We, we learn about God. Now, it's not the only place you learn about God. We have classrooms. We have interaction with each other. But the reason you take notes is because it helps you learn. You say, well, I'm an auditory learner. Good. I'm not. I'm a visual learner, and I'm a kinesthetic learner. And it's helpful if we do all three, audio, visual, and kinesthetic. So you take all three, and we're still trying to figure out how to make smellow sermons so you can have the olfactory memory as well connected to that. But I'm just kidding. That might happen later. But that's one of the things the ancient church used to do. That's why you get incense in certain churches, to bring in the olfactory learning. But the point is simply that these things enable and ingrain our thinking ability. And so when we celebrate God by learning about him, it, en- it enables us to know who he is. And the better we know who he is, the more we love him and understand him. And so we do this together. We celebrate together. And we do that in a corporate setting along with a day of rest. Now, that's why this is weird. Why would we celebrate God then by serving others? Serving others? Wait, Greg, time out for a second. Why? Why do we have to serve each other? Again, when we are properly working Notice that at the bottom line, working properly. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. When we are working properly, we're serving each other, using our giftedness, using the equipped aspects that we've been given. We challenge each other. We shape each other. We gather together and God grows us spiritually and in size. Those two things work together. You say, but Greg, I thought we were supposed to rest on Sunday. I thought you just did that at the beginning. Why am I, how am I supposed to serve and rest? Aren't those contradictory? Well, actually, Jesus deals with this in Luke chapter 13. So if you want to look at this, let's take a look at this quickly together. (coughs) Excuse me. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus has come to a synagogue, which was an Israelite worship service. And um, he sits down at the synagogue to teach. And in verse 11, it says, There was a woman who had, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So she is hunched over. She's in pain. And this is not a medical problem. This is a spiritual problem for her. And Jesus comes up to her, seeing it, or seeing her, called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. That's how I think he talked. So. <laughs> and he is very upset. This is a guy who's ticked. It's like the senior pastor coming out rebuking Jesus that you don't do that now. So the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox, his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, and all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. Now, 
what I find here is Jesus is just simply saying, don't turn this rest thing into law. You don't turn this into the something to keep you from helping other people. You're going to let your pet go get a drink of water, but you're not going to hand a drink of water to somebody in need. You're going to unloose your pet, but you're not going to unloose healing to each other by praying for each other on Sunday. You're, you're going to be willing to pray and talk to your children in correction, but you're not willing to go volunteer to care, to care and bring spiritual enlightenment in our children's ministry because I'm resting. And Jesus would say, no, it's not how this works. There is always room to do the good and serving each other, even on our day of rest. Rest is never an excuse to stop the good because the rest is good for us and we are to be good for others. And so Jesus is describing this reality to us that we are a people who are, one, not caught in legalism where we say, I can't help anybody and not caught in license that we get to go, I can go do whatever I want anytime I want and even hurt people if I want. That's not what the gospel is either. The gospel is a relationship with God. It's a conversation and knowing him. And so when it comes to your rest, if God has called you to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. And you go and do it then. If God has called to you and he's told you and you're talking to him, you're in the word of God and you understand this is a good thing and you ought to do it, do it. And the rest that we have comes from the relationship and the service that we give comes from his gift. He's gifted you. I don't know about you dads, moms, I've received some pretty horrible gifts from my children. Let's be honest. We say they're cute when they give us the tongue depressor uh, little cup that holds our pencils. But they're not cute. They're, they're really sloppily made with some interest, but they mean something. I'm not saying they're not good. And so they sit on my desk. And I use it. Because it was a gift from my son, Nate. And so it sits there to remind me. It's a gift for my son. I like using what my son has given me. I believe that God likes it when I use the gift that he's given to me. And when I'm serving on Sunday, I'm doing it because I want to give away my gift. Now, I have to work on Sunday, obviously. And so I, I actually rest on Friday. That's my day I try to take to rest on. And sometimes I nail it and sometimes... I don't, but the point is to, that when I'm working, I do take a separate day. I celebrate on Sunday and I rest on Friday. So these things aren't the same thing. I'm trying to point that out. But for those of us who can make it the same thing, it's very convenient and very helpful. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't serve and care for each other. And so finally, all of this added together, the, the idea that we should be resting, the idea that we should be singing, celebrating, all this stuff together, really leads me to this, that you know Sunday should be a priority. Church on Sunday ought to be a priority that a lot of us are making it far less of a priority than it ought to be. We're putting tons of other things in its place, whether it be simply sleep or just dawdling around at home on the internet or whether it's a sports thing or what. We have replaced it with other consumer choices. But it ought to be a priority because it's a gathering of us together that we need each other, that God knows we need the community. And in a time period where we're saying the I, I, iPhones, all that stuff, loneliness is on the rise and church is one of the few places that you shouldn't be lonely at. It should always be a corporate setting. We're gathered together. It's not a check off to come in, enjoy and leave. It is something we engage in, we walk in, we worship together, we celebrate together. It's no wonder that the corporate needs to be done Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way. Let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together because you really can't stir each other up to love and good works if we're not together. It's the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, there's a lot of people who feel like that day is drawing a lot nearer right now. It's not a time to get away from each other. It's a time to press in together. It's a time to gather nearer to each other, to celebrate corporately, to focus together. Because what we do together encourages and builds each other up and it can actually support us in very hard times. Years ago, uh, about five years ago now, my mom died. And I got to, uh, the day she died a few days later was Sunday and I came to church and whether I should have preached or not is still a question I have in my head, but I came on purpose because I needed to stand with the community and I needed to sing out my songs to my God who was faithful to me even in that time. And I needed, I needed the people around me to support me, to hold me up when I couldn't stand up in a sense. And some of us are avoiding church because we're down when we should be right here in the middle where people can lift us up. Right here in the middle where people can support us and care. We need to be letting our needs known because what we do together and how we work together ought to enable us to get that rest and to celebrate our God and really live life well. So let's not lose the priority of this beautiful thing that God's given us called church. Would you bow your heads with me? Guys, I, I, I realize that we have such a great gift in this and some of us are just you know, been challenged this morning. But there are those of you in this room right now who uh, honestly, you don't understand that whole idea of celebrating God because maybe you're at the beginning of something. You're, you're just beginning to contemplate who this God is and what he's done. And I'd like to give you something else to think about if you are not a Christian. And that is simply this, that this God that does exist has loved us in such an amazing way that he who has made us and told us how to live has given his son, Jesus Christ, to us on a cross. Why? Well, because we've all sinned. We've all hurt our neighbors. We've all hurt our friends. We've all hurt our loved ones. We've all insulted God in some way. And God being just has to judge that. And he one day will, on the day of judgment, judge us for our sins. But he is not doing that now. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our judgment if we're willing to trust his promise. And what he did is he sent his son, who lived perfect life, who died on that cross, and then he put on him the sins of humanity, that if we would trust in Jesus Christ, the punishment we should receive goes to him, and we're forgiven. And then we're given an eternal life a new life with God in a relationship with him. And it's all a gift. You don't clean up and become a good person to become a Christian. In fact, good people have to abandon their good deeds to trust only in the promise of God alone because it's the only thing that saves God's good promise. And he's giving you that promise today, but it requires you to trust. It requires you to trust the promise Maybe right now is the time that you're ready to begin trusting that promise to be forgiven of sins. Maybe you never trusted before, but you're saying right now I'm gonna start. And it's that simple. Can it be really that simple to be forgiven and enter into eternal life? Yes, it is. That's how good of a gift it is. 
And so right now, maybe you're ready to receive that and ready to begin trusting that promise. If that's you, I want to give you a chance. You just indicate it by saying, hey, yes, that's me. And just put your hand up and I'll see you. And I just want to pray. I want to walk you through an opportunity to pray. And right there, you're saying, I want to begin this journey. I want to receive the forgiveness of sins by trusting God's promise in Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been following Jesus and this is an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm really gonna mark my calendar. This is where I'm beginning new. If that's you or if you're in either of those camps, give you a chance to just talk to God about it right where you're at in your seat. Just begin with this simple thought of, of laying out what you know your sins are to him. Just confess them. all these things that we've done, all this life of sin, I want to give you a chance now to imagine that you're turning your back to it. It's called repentance. And what you're doing is you're turning to God and ask him to take your punishment and your sin and place it on Jesus. Let him know that you trust you've now been forgiven of your sins. That you trust his promise. Let him know that you trust that he's giving you eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. And ask him to come into your life to lead you and guide you. And God, for those who are indeed working through this prayer and talking to you about receiving your promise, God, I pray that you would make yourself just so clearly real to them. Maybe not right now, but throughout the next week that there'd be an instance where you are just showing that you are indeed with them and that you've forgiven their sins and that they are indeed your son or daughter. And God, bless them and help us as a church to come alongside of them every week and to build into them and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.